relief factor, pain relief that's natural, pain relief that works, and pain relief that attacks the source of the pain. That's the experience of tens of thousands of Americans who are taking Relief Factor right now. See their incredible video endorsements at relieffactor.com and then order your three-week quick starter pack for just $19.95. That's less than a dollar a day. Find out if it can work for you like it works for me by ordering your three-week quick starter pack today. Relieffactor.com, relieffactor.com. Be the next success story. This episode of the America First podcast with me, Sebastian Gorka, is brought to you by Franklin Armory. Shop freedom, quality, and innovation at franklinarmory.com. Franklin Armory, we are facilitators of freedom. Friends, America First, one-on-one with me, your host, Sebastian Gorka, former strategist to the 45th president of the United States. Some guests you just can't get enough of, especially when they're outspoken and they know of what they speak. He is known already for giving seven-hour, eight-hour interviews in Twitter spaces. We are delighted to have Mike Benz back with us for one-on-one. Mike, welcome back to America First. Sebastian, thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to continue our uh our deep dive. So am I. So am I. So you are. You are. You've reinvented yourself uh, recently. You are the founder. You are the head of something called the Foundation for Freedom Online. I want everybody who is listening right now to go to foundationforfreedom.com and also to follow Mike because he is a treasure trove of information. It's Mike Benz Cyber on Twitter. That's Mike Benz B E N Z Cyber on Twitter. For those who missed our last chat, just very quickly to get the credentialing out of the way uh what did you do in so you're an attorney by training now you're fighting for uh, freedom for the first amendment on uh, the uh, online world in which so many of us spend far too much of our time but what were your positions what were you doing inside government mike until recently sure so before i founded the uh, foundation for freedom online i was the I ran basically the cyber portfolio at the State Department. So the technical name was Deputy Assistant Secretary for International Communication Technology, which is a long way of saying I ran three different divisions at the State Department responsible for various aspects of U.S. cyber policy on the global stage. That is the formulation of policy, the negotiation and implementation. Uh, And then prior to that, I was a White House speechwriter and uh, worked uh, particularly on tech issues there as well. So let let me ask a very basic question. Uh, What does the State Department have to do with cyber? Because if you say cyber from the layman's perspective, you think of cyber crime and you think of cyber warfare. Well, neither of those apply to the State Department. You think of, oh, social media, the Internet. Well, for the State Department, that must be public diplomacy. That must be, quote unquote, the selling of the brand that is America. So uh, give us the, the actual truth about how your work, what cyber means inside the domain of the, the State Department. Right. So you would think that would be the case. But actually, what the State Department represents is the aggregation of assets uh, at the disposal of the United States government for purposes of uh, not just I mean, statecraft, but as it applies to uh, advancing the national interest, so to speak, uh, uh, and, and foreign policy abroad impact is a function of domestic policy in each of the countries that we operate in or that we seek to influence. And so you, you actually find 
domestic politics of every country around the world is a part of the strategic chessboard of everyone's portfolio uh, uh, beyond a certain level at state. And so on the cyber aspect, what you have are these U.S. tech companies who are essentially instruments of statecraft. Google, Facebook, Twitter, Microsoft, Apple, Amazon, these are all soft power projection mechanisms for the U.S. State Department to be able to uh, make, uh, advance the national interest both at a bilateral level with every individual country and then also on a regional level with respect to, say, Europe or Near East Asia or you, you, name, you name the country. So obviously tech companies play a huge role in our capacity to, uh, to create a political environment that is advantageous to American interests abroad. The problem is, is after 2016, uh, those weapons of soft power influence abroad began being turned inward, not to stop foreign fascism or foreign communism, but to stop domestic populism. All right, we'll, we'll get to that. And that's, that's why this discussion is, is so very, very important. What happened in 2015 and why 2015? Uh, but for those who aren't familiar, who haven't worked in government, what, what Mike is describing is, is perhaps a little bit of a surprise, that when it comes to coordinating matters to do with national security and foreign policy, there is a preeminence given to the State Department. One very weird example of this, that when you are in country, the mission team is run by the ambassador, who is a civilian who is often a political appointee, a former donor, or sometimes a career diplomat. And even if you are the defense attache, if you are a military team that is deployed to that country, for example, to help train a partner nation's military, you are actually under the command of the ambassador, of the civilian. So this, this first among equals principle applies very, very much to the State Department's role as the chief coordinator and, of course, because the, the given ambassador is the president's representative to the given country. So it sounds a bit weird, but, but what Mike is saying is absolutely right. So give us an example, staying in the, the open source, unclassified domain, uh, at, at your position running cyber for the State Department, what kinds of issues on an average day would you have to be grappling with, Mike? Sure. So a recent example that I talked about was, you know, I would get a call, I would get a call from Google lobbyists about what Europe was doing with respect to you know, the GDPR laws around data, around data. Explain, privacy explain what that is, GDPR laws. Yes. So, OK, so there's essentially data privacy laws that were passed in Europe uh, because Europe uh, takes a much more aggressive regulatory approach to protecting the privacy of, of EU citizens uh, against uh bulk collection by uh, by tech companies and the use of personal data for everything from advertising to any number of other other purposes. The issue is that that monopoly over data is basically the oil, so to speak, of Google and Facebook and other large U.S. tech companies. When Europe says we're going to restrict access to European citizens' data. That means Google now has an existential threat to its bottom line because it will not have a competitive advantage over other companies operating in Europe if Google is not allowed to have the same level of its data monopoly. So Google would call people like me at my desk to say, hey, you're going into negotiations with Europe next week. We want you to do this, this, and this. And my role essentially is, is being the, the cyber DAS uh, there is we... we People at the State Department see 
things strategically as being a sort of, I don't want to say favors for favors, but it is essentially a U.S. champions. When we do well for U.S. champions uh, internationally and represent them effectively to, say, Europe or China or Latin America, then in turn, jobs and, and economic and, and uh, political dividends accrue to the American people because what 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 is at advantages that U.S. companies get should flow to basically trickle down in a sense to U.S. citizens. The problem is this social contract was broken for basically the first time in American history after the events of 2016, which is to say if, if Exxon and Chevron were to ask for favors from the U.S. State Department for you know, oil rights in, in Mexico or, or, or Canada, they, oil and Exxon and Chevron wouldn't then turn around and say, well, if you voted for Donald Trump or Bernie Sanders or you know, a populist uh, person, we're, we're not going to sell you that gas. You're going to actually, you know, <laughs> this relationship of the government doing favors for, for big corporations was supposed to help all Americans. Not only the half of Americans who voted for government and then discriminate against the other half. So we're now in a sort of philosophical freefall as we are having to renegotiate the the founding principles of the 1947 National Security Act. Now that the social contract implicit to that has been broken. And how did they, when you were in that position as the DAS at state responsible for cyber, how did they treat you? What was that relationship like with the big tech giants? Well, they presupposed the answer would always be yes. You know, and, and I've I mentioned this before, you know, the uh, gentleman who was at my desk before me uh, was a very nice guy, very skilled, competent, uh, you know, diplomat. And but his job right after was to make essentially a million dollars a year as a base salary working as a Google lobbyist. So there's a revolving door, a sort of expectations that you will always say yes to Google at the State Department, that you will always say yes to Facebook. And the, and the big tech companies. And in response, you do well for the private sector. When you go into the private sector, you will be amply rewarded. Now, I did not follow that path because of, I, I've got what I consider to be uh, strong philosophical. Uh, <laughs> don't, know, don't be shy, I, Mike. It's because you've got a conscience well, and a soul, okay? That, that's why you're different from all the other ones who are just padding their landing for that job that they shouldn't have taken because, uh, because it, it's totally incestuous. We're talking to Mike Benz. It's foundationforfreedomonline.com, foundationforfreedomonline.com, Mike Benz Cyber on Twitter. I'm Sebastian Gorker. If you enjoy our one-on-ones, the chance to talk to the real experts, the newsmakers, make sure that you are subscribed. Go to your favorite platform. Go to Spotify. Plug in my name, Sebastian Gorker, America First. Subscribe. It's absolutely free. Leave us a five-star review and share the links with your friends. And don't forget... If you're disappointed with your Christmas gifts, that ugly sweater you got from your aunt, check out the merchandise at America First. Everything made in America, the Mega MAGA Returns t-shirt that we made to celebrate the president's declaration of his Trump 2024 campaign. One of our hottest sellers. Number two is the FBI t-shirt we co-designed with Chris Plant. The FBI, Fascist Bureau of Intimidation. Get yours today, SebastianGorkaStore.com. That's SebastianGorkaStore.com. Every day when I pass a mirror, I still can't believe it. It's me. I'm looking back at myself. I never thought I'd be this fit again. But 42 pounds ago, I decided to take control of my health. 
And with the help of my PhD weight loss and nutrition, I'm so glad I did. The program is simple. Dr. Ashley Lucas and her amazing team customize a plan for your body to make it simple. They even provide 80% of your food at no additional cost. They treat your entire person as one. Dr. Ashley believes that all change starts with the mind. She'll help you to change your behavior when it comes to food and think differently about food so you'll never gain the weight back. Give them a call right now at 864-644-1900 and they can answer all your questions. If I can do it, you can do it. Dr. G is ready for anything on America First. All right, let's let's talk about this seminal moment, Mike. This this switch where where everything turned uh, inwards in 2015 or 2016. So I'll just I'll balderize what you said, and then I want you to fill in you know the the the, the colors to to you know give us the, the flesh on the bone. So. There's this thing that you talk about, the foreign policy establishment that is bipartisan. It's kind of the uniparty, as Bannon would call it. And they had a mission over years and perhaps decades working hand in glove with Soros Foundations, the Open Society, the Ford Foundation, uh, NED and others, where they were fighting for... Uh, quote-unquote democracy abroad, which meant targeting populists, the likes of Orban, uh, the, the likes of uh, um, probably Modi, they probably hated Modi, Nigel Farage, uh, and so on. And then, talk to us about, about that, what, what the foreign policy amoeba is, and then explain what they decided to do in 2015 and why. Right. So there was a saying in this country... To- for a long time, I'm sure it's still said, I just haven't heard it in a while, but that's that politics stops at the water's edge. This idea that Americans may have our disagreements about domestic policy, but when we look across the Atlantic or the Pacific, uh, politics ends at home. We're always united on foreign policy. This The so-called Washington consensus on foreign policy that effectively existed from Truman until Trump. And, is, and more, it, more than just the, the unity on foreign policy, the other thing that's, that phrase delineated was if you're abroad, if you're the president, the secretary of state or the defense minister, you don't slag off and criticize your, um, your opposition party at home. If you're a Republican in, in London, you don't say bad things about the Democrats that are domestic politics. And, and likewise, if you're a Democrat president, you don't do that about Republicans. And, and that, to, to a greater or lesser extent until recently, was in fact uh, adhered to. Right, right. No, that's exactly right. You know, we are a world empire. We, we've been a world empire since 1898, essentially, uh, you know, with the, at the end of the Spanish-American War. Uh, the, the high standard of living that we have is partially a function of America creating much of the world in our image, so to speak, through our diplomatic and soft power uh, influence projection during the 20th century. And this this was reflected in sort of Cold War advancements from, say, the 1940s to the 1980s, and then this sort of real consolidation of the bipartisan foreign policy elite um, in during the Reagan era when you had this sort of confluence of the open society 
folks through, from George Soros, uh, say, on the left, and the open market folks on, say, the, um, you know, the, the Milton Friedman folks on the right, uh, re reflected in a sort of foreign policy, which was that if we could open up other countries and then create markets for American goods, American services, American jobs, then, you know, sort of the, the left-wing flank of the foreign policy establishment would get all the benefits from, say, their roles in, in financiers, because they would get tons of, uh, of uh, dividends on investments in emerging markets, as well as on, on, uh, on currency speculation, which is what Soros and Bill Browder and tons of other sort of Wall Street London folks took advantage of. And meanwhile, you had on the Republican side of the foreign policy establishment, you had a lot of these legacy you know, blue chip uh, corporations uh, and uh, and the actually you know, making you know, being able to outsource jobs, being able to have new markets for their products, uh, being able to have favorable uh, you know tariff or tax uh, relations because of State Department pressure. So you had you had stakeholders on both sides of the political aisle making money hand over fist on American foreign policy. And all of this was assumed to it was it was totally unchallenged until the populist wave starting in the 90s, but really in 2016, when Americans started to question, hey, is outsourcing jobs actually good for us? Is it actually good for us when Nike makes their makes, you know, their their shoes in in Latin America or when or when Apple makes its phones in China? Do is there actually that trickle down benefits to the domestic population? when the foreign policy establishment gets rich off State Department policies. And when you started to have uh, populists from both the left and the right challenge that through folks like Bernie Sanders and Jeremy Corbyn in the U.S. and the U.K., and folks like Trump and Nigel Farage in the U.S. and U.K. on, on the right-hand side, what you had was this sort of neoliberal panic attack that populism was going, was going to potentially vote the foreign policy establishment out of power and no matter how many newspapers they controlled, no matter how many Hollywood productions they threw, no matter how much money they threw at John McCain types, that it still would not overwhelm the masses of people who were getting their education from the Internet. It was at that moment that they essentially applied the Department of Dirty Tricks that was used abroad during the Cold War to, say, buy off newspapers in France or Italy or to you know, create their own independent media ecosystem and censor insurgency movements abroad, they took that same doctrine and applied it domestically in order to politically neutralize the right and left flanks. All right, now, now this, this, is, this, is a, this is a massive accusation. So, so let's stop here for a second. And this is the, the, the real value of what, what you illuminate for us. So let, let's be very clear what we're discussing. There was a consensus. I mean, you know, wh wh when you had the left and the right agree, I mean, you, the left would buy into Kissinger's argument, for example, on China. If you uh, economically uh, liberalize, then there will be democracy in China, which is, of course, turned out to be utterly fallacious. But that's why Google goes and, you know, gets in bed with the Communist Party of China 
China and says, oh, you want the Internet censored. If you put in Tiananmen Square, you won't find anything. You know, th- th- this is the reality. Then you have this rise of those who say, hang on, what about America for Americans, meaning jobs, meaning secure border, meaning you know, not spending uh, money to secure other nations, but perhaps securing ours first. And also it's, it's the rise of left and right. It's Bernie Sanders. It's, it's Trump, the, the, the sides of the same coin. However, here's the point that, that you're making. During the Cold War, we... Actually, had, uh, John Solomon made this on my show over a year ago, and it shocked me when, when a man is as cold and calm and collected as, as John said this. The propaganda machinery of the Cold War that was used against foreign enemies was turned in against Americans to deal with the threat to the establishment, not the threat to America, the threat to the elites of the rise of populism a la Brexit, a la Trump, a la Bernie Sanders. Bernie Sanders bought off, uh, as it seems, by the, the whole superdelegate um, machinations of Hillary and then him endorsing her afterwards. But then Trump, Trump actually surprises them and, and wins. So th- this is the point at which I'm going to ask you, what is the evidence and you're going to give it to me because I know you've got the receipts of how this machinery was pointed inward against Americans. We're talking to Mike Benz. He's the founder, the executive director of the Foundation for Freedom Online. That's foundationforfreedomonline.com. Follow it right now. Follow him on Twitter at Mike Benz Cyber, Mike Benz Cyber. And don't forget, we are on all social media bar the fascistic YouTube. So follow us on Truth Social, on Twitter, on Facebook, on Instagram, on Parler, on Getter, on Twitter. Telegram on CloudHub. If you want to watch us on video, the uh, the cool thing is SalemNewsChannel.com. And the most recent is my Substack, SebastianGorka.substack.com. MyPillow is having their biggest sheet sale of the year. You all have helped build MyPillow into the amazing company that it is today. Now, Mike Lindell, my buddy, the inventor and CEO, wants to give back to my listeners. The Percal bedsheet set is available in a variety of colors and sizes, and they're on sale. For example, the queen size is regularly $89.98, but now for you, just $39.98 with your listener promo. Order now, because when they're gone, they're gone. The Percal sheets are breathable and have a cool, crisp feel. They come with a 10-year warranty and a 60-day money-back guarantee. Don't miss out on this incredible offer. It's a limited supply, so be sure to order now. Call 1-800-829-8468, promo code Gorka, or just go to MyPillow.com, click on the radio list of Square, and plug in G-O-R-K-A. That's 1-800-829-8468, or MyPillow.com, code Gorka. America first. All right, so here, here I want to get some pay dirt from you, Mike. I, I need you to back up as only you can the um, truth or you know the, the evidence for the, the, the rotation of the turrets. The, the gun turrets were moved from foreign enemies who are populists to domestic enemies like Trump and MAGA and America first. How do we know this happened after 16, 17, and 18? 
Sure, and we could spend five hours yeah. just on this alone. But uh, but uh, but it's but just to try to tell it as linearly as, as possible. And let me just preface by saying, um, I do not opine on substantive foreign policy issues other than you know my mission is censorship and digital freedom. And what, so when I talk about things as I'm going to here about uh, the uh, the events in in Ukraine or dynamics around Russia or whatnot. This is not to make an opinion you know, one way or the other about that. I leave that to other folks. Yeah. I'm simply going to explain essentially what happened and how this was turned inward. So you had the events in Ukraine in 2014 where there oh, was— and I, Sorry, i got to jump in here because my, my, my list is going to go mad. Um, I would say uh, America is not an empire, or at least if it is, it's a very unusual one, because other empires control the territory they invade. We allow the Iraqis, the Afghans to pick their own leaders, and then we leave. So if it's an empire, it's a very, very different kind of empire. But I, I just wanted to make that footnote. Okay, so talk about, sure, the, sure. The, talk about the events in Ukraine, Mike. Yeah. So you you had the this Crimea referendum in 2014 that um, that created response from the U.S. and, and NATO folks around this uh, this threat of what was initially called the Gerasimov doctrine, term uh, essentially coined by um, uh, a frequent NATO um, sort of thought leader, uh, uh, Mark Galliotti. The Gerasimov doctrine was this idea that Russia was using information warfare in order to influence the hearts and minds of folks in Central and Eastern Europe um, and was sort of using Internet propaganda and whatnot to do that. And this and this Internet propaganda was propping up right wing populist parties in Central and Eastern Europe that were, say, uh, you know, Russia, Russia sympathizers. So the Gerasimov doctrine um, gave rise to this sort of Pentagon NATO doctrine called hybrid warfare. The idea that uh, war is uh, is is has moved almost totally into this subkinetic political hearts and minds thing because non non physical. Okay, he's using fancy language. Non not not bullets and bombs, but you know bites and bits. Right. The idea that rather than defeating a country militarily, if you simply can change the political leadership, they will then change the foreign policy and the military posture for you. So there was this sort of threat perceived threat that Russia was applying this hybrid warfare doctrine in Europe from 2014 to 2016 and propping up a lot of the, at the time, right-wing populist parties that were reacting to the, what was termed the migrant crisis with, uh, with you know, sort of, uh, you know, a, a large influx of, of migration in, into southern Europe and then matriculating into the politics. There was a sort of right-wing populist revolution in Europe at the time, and because the, those entities as populists tended to have economic positions where they, say, wanted, you know, uh, normalized relations with Russia over uh, to have cheap gas for lower and middle income folks. This created a split with foreign policy establishment there, but it didn't really hit the gas until the Brexit vote in June 2016. When Brexit happened, there was a panic that this hybrid warfare doctrine, which was somewhat contained to Ukraine and the Baltics, and, and, and somewhat in Germany, had now spread all the way to the UK and was impacting the EU itself. And the threat at the time was that Brexit was going to give rise to Brexit in France with Marine Le Pen and her national uh, front party there, with Matteo Salvini in Italy, it was going to give rise to Italexit. In Greece, it would give rise to Grexit, and that the entire EU would break apart and that NATO would break apart. This a panic basically set off at the Warsaw Conference in, in July 2016, 
a new authorization for NATO to formally uh, basically deploy funds and infrastructure for hybrid warfare. And they set up these hybrid COEs, centers of excellence. This will come back into the story because what you find is the, the, the top thought leadership and censorship professionals in the U.S. censorship industry all had early starts in this 2014 to 2016 uh, hybrid COE infrastructure. For example, N Nina Jankovic, who was, uh, you know, the, the head of the so-called Disinformation Governance Board, you know, for a time uh, before that was paused, you know, came from this same high, uh, uh, Central and Eastern Europe hybrid warfare network. Ben Nimmo, who basically was the lead operative for the Atlantic Council Digital Forensics Research Lab and Graphica, who are two of the biggest heavyweight hitters in the censorship industry, and it, who now leads Facebook's uh, threat, global threat detection team, the, the top censorship team at Twitter. He also came from that same cell. Uh, so did an Applebaum. I mean, so did a, a lot of these folks who um, who are sort of high level censorship implementers or thought leaders all come from that early say, uh, uh, infrastructure that was set up. But when, right. when the Trump vote happened in let, 2016... Let's pause there for a the second, because we've got phase one. That's very clear, phase one that's focused on the abroad, on Brexit, on Ukraine. Then we're going to go to phase two when it comes internally. We're talking to Mike Benz. I'm Sebastian Gorka. This is America First one-on-one, -on -one, coming to you from the relieffactor.com studios. If you're in daily pain, if you've tried everything else and failed to find relief, do what I did. What was it? I think it's like more than three years ago, four years ago, Relief Factor. It's natural. It targets the cause of the pain, which is the inflammation. And right now it's liberating half a million Americans, me included. If you've tried everything else and you're desperate for relief, try this product, which I take every single day. Go to relieffactor.com or do the three quick starter pack. It'll be at your door in three days or less. Take it morning and evening like I do. That number is 800-583-84, relieffactor.com. My guarantee to you, Dr. Tree's guarantee. Try it for three weeks and find out if it works for you like it works for me. 800-500-8384. ReliefFactor.com. ReliefFactor.com. This is a red alert for hardworking Americans who are tired of seeing their freedoms and savings threatened by the globalist agenda. Wealth Protection Research is on a mission to find whistleblowers who are exposing the schemes that threaten your financial security. We're talking about real patriotic financial warriors like Jim Rickards and Porter Stansberry. They're not afraid to tell it like it is, exposing how the system is rigged against you. Text IDEAS to 76626 to find out more. With the 2024 election story, Storming our way, your IRA and your 401k appear to be in the crosshairs. That's why we've compiled our three favorite ideas from Freethinkers. Don't wait for a knock on your door telling you it's too late. Get this critical report. Text IDEAS to 76626. The fight for your financial freedom is on. Text IDEAS to 76626 now for your free report. That's IDEAS to 76626. Standard text and data rates may apply. This is not CNN. Right, so we've got the external, we've got the, the, the triggering effects of uh, Ukraine, 
as was. We've got the Brexit vote where British people, quote unquote, voted the wrong way. They voted for independence and sovereignty and they had to be punished. NATO creates these centers of excellence for really what uh, hybrid warfare is garbage. Uh, The idea that, you know, this new idea that nations are susceptible to non-kinetic things. Yeah, that's been around since Sun Tzu. But the idea that NATO wakes up to information warfare in a newly PC packaged version. That's what we get in 16. Now talk to us about phase two, Mike. How do we see it occurring here in America for domestic political purposes? Right. So when the Trump election happened in November 2016, immediately there, uh, you know, Russiagate kicked into effect well before he even took office. And in fact, the Russiagate narratives were seeded actually in August 2016, um, actually pre-election, and it wasn't until he won the election that it really kicked into gear. But between November 2016 and January 2017, you had all of this infrastructure, essentially from the Ukraine response in NATO, uh, sort of transfer over to the U.S. side at the, at the, at the early level in order to, to come up with a sort of response to Russian interference in the 2016 election. And, and, and organizationally, where's the center of gravity? What, what are the entities that become the drivers of domestic information warfare against American citizens? Sure. So the Atlantic Council is, is I think, a representative uh, group here because the Atlantic Council is NATO is no, sort of known as NATO's think tank, and it's a bipartisan. You know, and until the events of 2016, it was not a particularly controversial. Uh, you know, think tank uh, in the sense that it was it was bipartisan. It sort of represented both the U.S. and Europe. But because of this threat of populism, now at the time, NATO in January 2017 was was publishing letters in its own journals uh, describing populism as being the single biggest threat to NATO solidarity, even more than than Russian aggression because of the political implications of people voting the wrong way in in the U.S. and in 20 different European parliamentary elections. So, for example, the Atlantic Council is is deeply connected to um, both the national security state and to and to political operatives, both on, in the Democrat Party and in the Republican foreign policy establishment. So, a good example is the Atlantic Council has seven living former CIA directors currently on its board. By the way, I'm not making a judgment about the Atlantic Council, you know, qua the Atlantic Council, particularly. It's, I'm talking about its censorship division called the Digital Forensics Research Lab. I have friends at the Atlantic Council. They're, they're very fine so people. Just, just run that past me again, you know, that, the title of that entity, because I, I, I did some work for the Atlantic Council over a decade ago. Then I realized it was more swampy than anything I'd seen, and I, I distanced myself from it. But, but what, what, is that, what is that disinformation unit? Because that, that, that has no place in something that's supposed to be promoting the alliance that is NATO. Give us that name again. It's extraordinary. It's the Digital Forensics <laughs> Research Lab. Wow. And they started out with that. They, they, that name does not even come close to uh, identifying what they currently do. But you have to understand, it grew out of a period in 2015, which is essentially when they were set up, uh, with this idea of identifying through digital forensics Russian mis- and disinformation on European social media pages. That is, if there was a meme or a video that went viral in, say, Moldova, um, the, di- the Digital Forensics Research Lab would do digital forensics on those uh, on that propaganda to determine whether it was Russian in origin. The, the issue was, is after Trump won the 2016 election, the DFR lab 
switch to just anything populist, anything pro-Trump, because Trump himself was a puppet of, say, the Russian government. This was the allegation at the time that the 2016 election was swung by Russian social media operations on Twitter and Facebook and YouTube. They took that, that, that foreign mandate and they redirected it domestically. Now, here's an incredible scandal. You know, the, the DFR lab was tapped by the Department of Homeland Security as one of the four formerly partnered disinformation flaggers that they outsource censorship to, which, and they censored 22 million Trump tweets, uh, 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 pro-Trump tweets on Twitter alone in the five months before the 2020 election. So by the way, they're not even US-based. The DFR, the Atlanta Council DFR lab is London-based, but the US Department of Homeland Security tapped them as it gave them a formal partnership and made them in charge of censoring your opinions but, in the U.S. on how, ballots and early voting drop boxes. When you, when you say they censored millions of tweets that questioned the integrity of the election, how, how did they do that? Did, did they tell Twitter to delete things? What, what, when you say censored, what was the mechanism, Mike? Yep, so there were several mechanisms. One is they... So, I mean, I'll, I'll sort of tell it linearly. So... On, on September 3rd, uh, 2020, well, actually started on June 23rd, 2020, uh, uh, CISA, which is, a, which is basically the, the cyber censorship group within DHS, they say they do cybersecurity, but they switched to cyber censorship because they said that uh, posts on the internet are a threat to election security and we're in charge of cyber. So cybersecurity now means cyber censorship. Right. So CISA outsourced uh, disinformation flagging to four entities in, in something called the EIP, the Election Integrity Partnership, which was anchored by the Atlantic Council. They were sort of the largest and most salient of the, of the groups in there. Uh, so, so what they did is the, it, the EIP went around and, and pressured, and I have them on video on Foundation for Freedom Online. You'll see all the insider confession videos where they brag about coercing the tech companies to change their censorship policies to add a new term called legitimization or delegitimization which is which is that any that they did this in june 2020 and they formally got all the tech companies all of them twitter facebook youtube tiktok instagram all of them to create a new category called delegitimization where conservative challenges to the perceived uh reliability of mail-in votes early voting drop boxes ballot tabulation vote ballot trafficking all of those were deemed to be violations of a new terms of service violation called delegitimization so that so that any post that expresses the mildest uh, criticism of voting integrity or voting uh, or voting outcome issues was considered a toss violation a terms of service violation and would therefore be censored they then turned around and then helped program the artificial intelligence to be able to mass ban at scale. That is, they had keyword searches for all of these things to auto-detect and auto-flag as misinformation any, any positive sentiment about these keywords. They databased 863 million tweets in just the five months before the 2020 election to do misinformation review because they tripwired a concept and then 22 of those they flagged as misinformation. The, the, this, all, this is such a, a deluge of, of information. This is all available at your website, correct? Yes. Okay. Our Found November, yeah. Foundation for Freedom Online dot com. So much information. Thank you, Mike. 
for, for just giving us a flavor. I've got a big question left for you. Mike Benz, Executive Director of the Foundation for Freedom Online. I'm Sebastian Gorka. This is America First One-on-One, coming to you from the relieffactor.com studios. If you're in daily pain, if you've tried everything else and failed to find relief, do what I did four years ago. Order the three-week quick starter pack at relieffactor.com. It'll be at your door in three days or less. Take it morning and evening like I do, and I promise you, Dr. G's guaranteed by the end of those three weeks, you will know whether it works for you like it works for me and 500,000 of your fellow Americans. Call today, 800-500-8384, relieffactor.com. That's 800-500-8384, relieffactor.com, relieffactor.com. America first. Who are the biggest threats? How do you rank them? My list syncs with yours. You know, Google is bar none, you know, the, the heavyweight, the undisputed heavyweight champion of the censorship space. Because uh, it's not just Google. Remember that Google is number one by traffic on, on the Internet. Number two by traffic is YouTube. YouTube actually has more traffic than Facebook or any other site. And, and YouTube is controlled by, by Google. Uh, right. and then you also have all the ad platforms that are impacted by Google censorship policies. And then you've got Google's massive CSR wing, their corporate social responsibility, which funds everything from the, from the fact checker uh, uh, conglomerates to the, the censorship you know, news entities. Google just did a $13 million uh, major censorship initiative in tandem with basically the U.S. State Department and a bunch of British labs that, that do uh, censorship of conservatives, both in the U.S. and U.K., the University of Cambridge Social Media Decision-Making Lab, as well as the University of Bristol. Google has tentacles in all of this when it comes to the censorship industry, but they also own the infrastructure. When I was at the State Department, I couldn't believe it. But you know, our day one, we were issued Android phones at the State Department. Meanwhile, you couldn't even talk on, it, on, on Google properties about the ongoing in-process 2020 election. So, so we were using Google infrastructure while, while Google was was actually at the hardware level, while you couldn't even talk about your own election as an American citizen on, on Google software. So Elon Musk is going to need to ultimately build his own phone. He's going to ultimately need to take you know elevate Twitter to the level where it can compete, but it's also going to need to get, you know, Google is a government contractor, a major one. I mean, they do cloud for the intelligence services, for the military. You know, there's they're deeply embedded within the administration of the federal government itself, Elon Musk is going to need to essentially, you know, uh, do the hard work of of making Twitter much, much more than it currently is if he's going to survive the encirclement that is going to come at him before the 2024 election. Do we not have standing as citizens against censorship legally to stop these entities? Well, it hasn't been tested yet in court, which is part of which is part of the, the crux here, this specific issue. For example, the DHS one. They know that they were not allowed to do this. Let me just be frank. I ha- Again, foundationforfreedomonline.com, we've got insider videos of them literally saying, as they were doing this, we don't have the legal authorization to do this. This is sort of a gray area. We're kind of getting away with it. We're, you know, uh, you know I've got Alex Stamos who ran EIP saying, the federal government, we, we, we approached, you know, they, we, we had a meeting with them. They knew they couldn't do it themselves. So they approached us to fill in the gaps of what they couldn't do directly. And then other operatives at EIP saying, well, you know, we've basically created a domestic CIA. 
we're, you know, the CIA is able to influence media abroad, but, but they can't operate at home. The FBI can operate at home, but they can only do it if you're doing something illegal through the Justice Department. So we're using DHS to combine the, basically the, far, the, uh, the, the foreign power of the CIA with the domestic jurisdiction of the FBI. She said that at a CISA conference, at a DHS taxpayer-funded conference. So all of this needs to be litigated. And frankly, there's a lot of damages that should flow back from, from this for what was done to the American people. Mike Benz, Executive Director, Foundation for Freedom Online, foundationforfreedomonline.com. Follow him at Mike Benz Cyber on Twitter. You've been listening to America First One and One. Wherever you are, whatever you're doing, dear friends, keep your head on a swivel. Watch your six. Hold the line. Never give up. Never give in. And stay frosty. Our fathers brought forth upon this continent a new nation conceived in liberty and dedicated to the proposition that all men are created equal. I know not what course others may take, but as for me, give me liberty or give me death. The world will little note or long remember what we say here, but it can never forget what they did here. I have a dream Ask not. What your country can do for you, ask what you can do for your country. Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. I can hear you, the rest of the world here, and the people... And the people who knock these buildings down will hear all of us soon. And we will make America great again. Is America First with Sebastian Gorka. Greetings, dear friends. We are up to vote number five. Kevin McCarthy is not yet Speaker of the House. And the person who has been nominated is Byron Donalds by the individuals who say, we don't like deals behind closed doors in the so-called conference. Let's have an open vote with names against yes or no. How long will it last? Well, we will keep you updated as the day goes on. Uh, But let's talk about uh, the reaction on the putative, the alleged right, and the left. First, we have Jake Tapper with a very uh, disturbing label for elected members of Congress wanting to have an open vote about who should lead the House This is Cut 11, CNN's Jake Tapper. Uh, One of the things that these rebels are pushing for is a more open process, more open debate, more open amendments, uh, less control by the Speaker, less control by the Rules Committee, less control by the committee chairs. We are almost seeing the the, the fact that the C-SPAN cameras are having having such a free-for-all today because uh, there there are no House rules preventing them from showing everything going on is almost a metaphor for the kind of freedom Uh, that these rebels are pushing for, some of the rebels, I should say. Oh, my gosh. Did you hear that? They're pushing for freedom. How dare they? Rebels? A rebellion? What happens to uh, rebels if you catch them, Eric? I believe that would be uh, capital punishment. 
Yeah, yeah, if there's a rebellion against the system, you have to hang them high, don't you? Is Drake Tapper proposing violence against his fellow Americans? Oh, by the way, Jeff, what, what does Jake Tapper do now? Does he even have a show? What's his job? Because he's, he's no longer the White House correspondent, right? Or what no, he's he back to the daytime. He's oh, no back. longer prime time. And what about, what's his name, Abilio? What's his name, Acosta? Still struggling on this weekend show. Oh, poor, 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 poor man. But it's not just the fake journalists, it's the fake conservatives. Here we have Carl Rove. I know it doesn't sound like him, but he's on a phone line talking about the disaster, the chaos of having an open vote for the Speaker of the House. Cut 10. What the Freedom Caucus, if they were able to achieve that, what it would, would bring about is, is countervailing pressure from others. Other elements of the House Republican Caucus would say, well, if they were able to get that, then we're going to come forward with our set of demands, particularly if, uh, uh, if, if they're able to get uh, somebody who agrees that they will do things like allow Freedom Caucus members to designate what committees they serve on and so forth. There, there are going to be other demands from other groups of the House Republicans. This is, a, this is an utter unmitigated disaster. Chaos tends to bring about chaos until it no longer brings about chaos. We're a long way from the point at which chaos stops bringing around more chaos. Did you hear the phrases used there? Unmitigated disaster. Chaos. Um. Mr. G, I, I may be, you know, incorrect here. How long has this delay been going on? Is it six months or nine months on the vote of the Speaker? <laughs> it's basically been a little bit longer than 24 hours. So, like, 30 hours. Yeah, I don't know. I guess they were planning on, what, doing the impeachment of Joe Biden today, if he was sworn in yesterday? Oh, yeah, and they would have finished it by, what, yesterday, 6 o'clock, right? Yeah, we're missing out all the hard work that they're going to do. Yeah, yeah. Uh, this is a joke, guys. It's pathetic. Chaos? Anarchy? As I posted earlier today, for 30 years, not since the Gipper left the White House, for 30 years, the GOP has betrayed Americans. Whether it's outsourcing jobs, whether it's footsie under the table with the Democrats, whether it's promising us justice for Benghazi and then having frauds, like Trey Gowdy say, yes, I'm going to get justice and then nothing. Or whether it's pathetic little dwarfs like, what's that guy's name? Lindsey Graham. Oh, yeah, I'm, I'm going to subpoena them all. Where are the subpoenas, Lindsey? We're about six years too late with your subpoenas. It's like that new senator. Isn't that cool to say that? That new senator, J.D. Vance, wrote in his book, that former Marine, the Hillbilly Elegy. For decades, for generations, in fact, if you read what happened to his family, we've been sold out as Americans. The rise of China, open borders, drug abuse, big tech censorship, on and, and the list is just endless. The lobbyists, the cushy jobs, special interests, Chamber of Commerce with their pro-illegal alien policies. So... You have been screwing over America for 30, 40, 50 years, and you can't wait 48 hours? Waiting 48 hours is chaos, is anarchy. Even somebody who I, you know, we're never buddies, but I was on his show every week. Even Fox's Sean Hannity. 
I guess has shown his true colors. Play cop. It is day one of the 188th Congress, and House Republicans now are on the verge of becoming a total clown show if they're not careful. But despite the cheering and the elation from Democrats and the mob and the media, it's not a dire situation yet. Oh, not yet, but it could be a dire situation because it's already a clown show. Is it Hannity? Is that what your buddy Lindsey Graham told you to say? So his rhino friends are satisfied, applicated. I tuned into my good friend, my real friend, my Gallagher show this morning, and I texted him as soon as he said the following. He said, let's pump the brakes on the histrionics. Yeah, this is hysteria. This is histrionics. And he said, enough with the status quo. Again, let me be clear. I don't necessarily, I mean, he's been on, hey, Jeff, McCarthy's been on the show, right? Yeah, he was on here a couple times. Right. So Kevin McCarthy's been on the show. I don't necessarily think he's a bad man. Even Mark Levin said, at least he's not evil like Mitch McConnell. Man, have we got something to show you with Mitch McConnell later? But he's weak. And he's definitely not MAGA. He's not America first. He's a weak man. Now, don't get me wrong, I think he will be confirmed speaker, but he needs to be sent a message. And the rhinos that have betrayed America for too long need to be put in their place. America first people, Andy Biggs, Matt Gates, Jim Jordan, Steve Scalise, have to send a message. Byron Donalds, I guess, have to send a message. No more business as usual. You've got to produce. You've got to be serious. Whether it's impeachment of Alejandro Mayorkas, investigations of Hunter Biden and the whole Biden crime cartel. We want action. We don't want footsie under the table. We don't want people anointed behind closed doors in the congressional conference with backdoor deals. We want an open vote, name to vote. And Victoria Sparks, it's Victoria Sparks, right, Eric, who's holding out? That is correct. On the last two ballots in a row, she voted switched from McCarthy to present. What? What's that? I mean, Victoria, you're a friend of the show. You voted present? Either do your business, you know, or get off the pot. The stakes are too big. So I, for one, I like a little bit of chaos. I can stand 24 hours, even 48, maybe 72 hours worth of chaos because it's time to get serious afterward. We've waited 30, 40, 50 years. Too many cowards. Let's see some backbone. I'm Sebastian Gorka. This is America First. We've only started the show. I'm so excited. Make sure you never miss a millisecond, a nanosecond. Subscribe. Go to Spotify. Plug in my name, Sebastian Gorka, America First. Leave us a five-star review. Share the links with your friends because that's how we help save the republic. And it is now, I heard today, the hottest selling item. Who's surprised after the latest Twitter files drop? The FBI Fascist Bureau of Intimidation t-shirt. Check out all the cool stuff at SebGorkaStore.com. That's S-E-B-G-O-R-K-A-Store.com. Stay here on America First.
three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.